Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can always lean on you. We recognize that we are in a world that is full of trouble, full of hardship and pain. That should not be a surprise for Jesus. You said in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And Lord, I know that all of us come to this place this morning with a variety of things on our hearts. Some things are very exciting and joy-filled, but other things are full of heartache and sorrow and uncertainty. But we thank you for the promise that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us, that when we are in times of trouble, that you never your present help. And Lord, now as we open your word together, please help us to see how you are calling us to live. As was illustrated earlier in the children's message, I pray that we will not be living leaderless lives and that we will not be depending on ourselves to lead us, that we will not just be looking to the world around us, but that ultimately we will be looking to you. And so as we open your word today, please teach us, please help us to apply your word to our lives. And I pray that in this time that we have together, that the words of my mouth will honor you and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Last week we began a new sermon series that is all about following God into the future. And I believe that when we look here at Freedoms, we can see so many exciting things converging right now. We look at numerical growth. We look at community outreach that is growing. We look at discipleship that is taking on new and exciting directions. We look at, uh, look at things like revamping the church building, which is something that can be very valuable and conducive for ministry. I believe that we are in a very pivotal season where the decisions that we make in the coming months will significantly shape the direction that Freedom's ministry takes in the years and even the decades to come. This can be a very daunting thing to think about, about how the decisions we make really do make a huge difference. And because of this, we need God's guidance and God's wisdom. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 1. We are studying the book of Joshua because it chronicles a very pivotal season in Israel's history, and there is much that we can learn from the book of Joshua. Let me give us some background before we dive in this morning. A few centuries before the time of Joshua, God made a promise to a man named Abraham and told Abraham that his descendants will become a great nation, and that they will inherit a special land, a promised land, where they will experience rest from their enemies— and be able to worship God freely. But before they were able to inherit this promised land, they ended up being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Now, no one really likes being enslaved, and so they were calling out to God for deliverance, and God raised up a man named Moses to lead Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And and so he did so. It's called the Exodus. And so as Moses was leading the people of Israel from Egypt... To the promised land, they ran into a few problems. They were basically like grumpy kids on a long road trip. I mean, you've probably been there. You know what that's like. They were complaining incessantly. They were fighting with one another. And they could not stop disobeying God. But finally, after 40 years of wandering wandering through the wilderness, they were on the doorstep of the promised land. And that's where we're going to pick up today, Joshua 1. I invite you to follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. So as we look at these six verses, we see that there is a new leader on the scene. Because Moses is dead. Moses had led Israel for 40 years. It is difficult to overstate the significance he had in the nation of Israel. But now he is dead. And the transition in leadership in pretty much any type of group can be a tumultuous time. If you study world history, for instance, you will find that the time in which civil war or revolution is the most common is when there is transition taking place in the nation's leadership. Or you look at businesses. If a founder leaves a business or if a major leader exits, it can be a time that is very tumultuous. Or in churches, when there is pastoral transition in churches, it's a time that can be difficult for everyone involved. Or even with the Green Bay Packers. I know that there are many Packers fans here. Like it or not, Aaron Rodgers will not be the Packers quarterback forever. (laughs) Sorry if that's a revelation. Um, He will not, I mean, as good of a quarterback as he is, he will not be the Packers quarterback forever. There will come a day when Aaron Rodgers is no longer playing for the Packers. And the reality is that Ted Thompson, the general manager of the Packers, better be preparing for that day. Because if he is not preparing a succession plan for who is going to quarterback the Packers after Aaron Rodgers is done, it will probably be a very difficult time for the Packers, which will also lead to difficulty in the morale for the entire state of Wisconsin. (laughs) Because, you know what, it is wise... When you see a leadership transition coming, it is wise to prepare for that. Moses, when he exited the scene through his death, he left some huge shoes to fill. But thankfully, God was preparing the way for what would come next because now it is Joshua's time. It is Joshua's time. We see in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. And again, down in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you, that, that's God speaking to Joshua, you, Joshua, will lead these people. Now, this call for Joshua to lead the people, people of Israel was not completely out of the blue. It wasn't like Joshua woke up one day and suddenly heard the voice of God and God was saying, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. Hey, you're up, you're up. Come on, come on, let's go. No, it was not a surprise for Joshua or really for anyone else because God's been preparing the way for Joshua to lead. Let me give you some of Joshua's background to help understand how he was qualified to lead here. First of all, he was an accomplished military commander. Soon after Israel left Egypt, a group of people called the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Now, who led Israel into battle and actually helped win that battle? Joshua. He was an accomplished military commander. On top of that, he was Moses' personal aide. We see that right here in verse 1. It says that he was Moses' aide. This means that he was Moses' right-hand man as they were journeying through, through the wilderness. 
When Moses was, was meeting with God, when Moses was making decisions, when Moses was working with the people of Israel, Joshua was right there with him. On top of this, Joshua was faithful to God throughout his life, a key qualification for leading in God's kingdom. For instance, back when Israel was, was journeying towards the promised land, they sent out 12 spies just to scope out the promised land. And after those 12 spies went and scoped it out and came back, 10 of them said, no, we can't do it. The people there are too strong. The cities are too fortified. Uh, we can't take that land. But two of the spies, Joshua being one, Caleb was the second, two of those spies said, you know what? We can take that land. We can, not because of our strength, but because God said that we can. And God is with us. So, so Joshua was faithful to God throughout his life. It was a demonstrated track record of obeying God. On top of this, kind of linchpin of it all, is that Joshua, even before Moses died, was already God's appointed leader to succeed Moses. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 27. Because in Numbers 27, God says that Joshua has the spirit of leadership, meaning the Holy Spirit is going to empower Joshua's leadership. And then God commissioned Moses to then commission Joshua to be the next leader of Israel after Moses died. And so Joshua was ready. The people were already knowing that when Moses dies, Joshua is up next. And now it is Joshua's time to lead Israel. But even though Joshua, even though Moses is, de- is dead, God is still in control. And God's mission continues. God's mission continues. Look with me to verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. So Moses is dead, but it doesn't say, okay, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now let's wait a while. Or Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, sorry, my mission failed. No, that's not what it is. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, get up and go. Take the promised land. Now then shows that this is a continuation of God's mission that he's been on for centuries. Now then is basically saying, okay, time to get up and go follow God into the future. Put this plan into action. And we have to recognize that this is God's mission. It's not just a human mission. Humans have a role in it. But ultimately, it's God's mission that Joshua and the people of Israel are called to fulfill. I mean, look with me again, verses 2 and 3. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. You know, the focus here is on God. Joshua and the people of Israel are called simply to be faithful to God, to continue and to fulfill the mission to which God is calling them. But God is the hero of the story. And that's clear throughout the book of Joshua. Even though the book is named after Joshua, Joshua is not the ultimate hero. No human leader is ever the ultimate hero if they are following God. God's the hero, and we see that at the end of the book of Joshua, after Joshua, uh, after Israel has settled in the promised land, and when Joshua is about to die himself, we see in Joshua chapter 23, verse 14, Joshua tells Israel, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So this shows the hero is God. 
It's God's mission that even though Moses is dead, the mission has not failed. The mission will continue. Now it's next up to the plate. Joshua is up next to lead and help him fulfill the mission that God has called them to. We have to understand that leaders will come and go. But God's mission continues. And God's faithfulness continues. Here at Freedom Church, we have a history of 163 years. And during that time, I am the 20th pastor of the church. Here's a picture of a few of them. I showed the top three last week with the cool beards and stuff. Um, here are a picture of a few more of the early pastors of Freedom's Church. You know, the fact that there have been 20 pastors of Freedom's Church, 20 lead pastors, means that before me, there were 19 of them. Most of those pastors before me are dead. And one day, I will be just like them. I will be you know, maybe a picture in a book that people will look at and they might chuckle at my hairstyle or at my, my glasses. Maybe by then they'll have technology where no one wears glasses anymore. Who knows? But one day, my role of leading here at Freedom's will be done. Just like Aaron Rodgers will be done. I mean, as much as you may like Aaron Rodgers, there's no way for him to lead forever there. There's no way for me to lead here at Freedom's forever. There will be a time when I'm done. Leaders come and leaders go. Here in Joshua 1, Moses is gone. He's off the scene. There will come a time a little bit later when Joshua dies. I mean, zooming ahead to the day, there have been so many great and godly leaders down through the years who have come, served God faithfully, but they are done. They are done with their official leadership. I mean, you look at King David, you look at the Apostle Paul, you look at Augustine, you look at Martin Luther, you look at Mother Teresa. They served God faithfully. They have come, they have gone, but God's mission it continues. It doesn't matter how much influence the leader has. It doesn't matter how gifted that leader is. It doesn't matter how much God works through that leader. There will come a time when their leadership is done. No leader is indispensable to God's work in this world. And if any leader ever pretends like they are, they are delusional. Because it's God's mission that continues. God is the hero. Leaders simply have the privilege of, of serving in his kingdom, of aligning with his mission, and helping leads God, lead God's people to, in faithfulness to his mission. But God's mission continues, and it will be fulfilled. But it is important that we not lose sight of the importance of leadership. I mean, Joshua was called to lead. God was the one who called him to lead, and God knew that for Joshua to lead, it would require courage. Leadership requires courage. That's why God said in verse 6 of Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. It takes courage to lead. In Joshua's case, he was leading Israel, and Israel certainly did not have any sort of dazzling track record of respecting their leaders or of obeying God. So it was going to take significant courage for Joshua to lead Israel. It, it always, anytime you have a leader, it takes courage to lead because part of leadership requires calling people to change. And no one really likes to change unless they're the one initiating the change. But leadership requires calling people to change. But we have seen the fact that, that you know, people don't like to change. We've even seen that illustrated here at Freedom's Church down through the years. In 1902, Freedom's congregation voted no to adding electric lights to the church. In 1919, the congregation voted no to allowing any church services in English. By voting no, they were basically saying, hey, we want the church services and all the church's ministry to be exclusively in German. 
1931, the congregation voted no to changing the church's name from German to English. In 1950, the congregation voted no to allowing the voting age within the church to be reduced to the age of 18. No, Friedens has experience in voting no to things. People don't necessarily like change. People don't necessarily like change. But godly leadership requires calling for change to help people to follow God more faithfully. And as leaders are calling people to change, it requires courage. But it's important to recognize that this courage doesn't come from a person's self-confidence or it doesn't come from a person's personal convictions, even though those are valuable. It doesn't come from experience in the past or from training they experienced in school. No, God says, when he says be strong and courageous, we have to look at the broader context. Let's read verses 5 and 6. God says to Joshua, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And so we see that that leadership requires courage, but the courage comes from the knowledge of God's presence with you. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Uh, To me, this is one of the most precious promises from God in all of Scripture. And it applies not just to Joshua. I mean, here it's for Joshua specifically, but the book of Hebrews expands that promise, quotes from this, expands the promise to all Christians. I will never leave you and never forsake you. And this can give us courage to follow God even in the face of opposition. And one of the things this means is that if we ever find that we are not very close to God, it is not God who has moved. No, it's us who has pulled away from God because God says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. So our call then is to repent and turn back to God. But this promise of God's presence, when he says to be strong and courageous because I will be with you, I will never leave you, never forsake you, this can give us incredible courage in the face of opposition when we are leading or when we are walking with God. One of the, one of the significant turning points in the history of Freedoms happened in 1991 when Freedoms left a particular denomination because of significant theological concerns. And this last week, I, I pulled out a folder. I found it in a file cabinet when I moved in the office. And the folder is titled, Deaffiliation Process Papers. It's about the process. It's letters and, and documents about the process of leaving that particular denomination because of those theological concerns. And I was reading these letters that, that went back and forth between Pastor Mark Vole, who was the pastor of Freedoms at the time, and there's a picture of him more recently. Uh, he's pastoring down in Arkansas right now. But I was reading his letters that went between Pastor Mark and a lot of the denominational leaders. And I saw that Pastor Mark was under significant pressure and criticism because of his leadership here at Freedens. He was not a popular guy outside of Freedens. Let me read you some excerpts from one of the letters. This letter came after Freedens left that denomination. And this letter is from another pastor from that denomination who had known Mark for quite a while. I'll just read a few excerpts. This pastor tells Pastor Mark, Frankly, I can't believe that you would do this, Mark. A little bit later, I do not understand why you have chosen to lead Freedens away from its heritage of 137 years. I have to kind of chuckle at that because realistically, this denomination that Freedens left had only been around for 34 years. So... So it's not quite like that's been Frieden's heritage for 137 years since 1854. But the very next line, he says, it's sinful. So it's saying that Pastor Mark made a decision in his leadership 
that was sinful. Listen to the next line. I believe, Mark, this will bother your conscience all the rest of your days and will give you many a sleepless night. Here's the last line before he signs it respectfully. Here's the line right before that. May God hold you accountable as he does all of us for your actions. And then he added a P.S. to it, just airing one more gripe. And ends that P.S. by saying, this is regrettable and irresponsible. And so, you know what? I believe that Pastor Mark made the right decision, as did the rest of Frieden's leadership, in leading uh, Frieden's back to faithfulness to the Bible and back to faithfulness to Jesus. I believe that was the right decision. I would not be here. I, I would say most of us would not be here today if not for that decision to lead Frieden's back to the Bible and back to Jesus. But that does not mean that he was unopposed in that process. He was under tremendous heat, tremendous fire. It took courage and it took strength that came from God. And so back to Joshua, as Joshua is leading Israel, it took courage for him as well to lead Israel to the promised land. But thankfully, God promised his presence would always go with them. But one of the daunting aspects of leading God's people is, is knowing which way to lead. Yeah, that's an important thing. Okay, you can have courage, you can have boldness, but if you're not leading in the right direction, you're not being faithful to God, and you're actually doing a disservice to God's people. So the question is, how do we know if we're going in the right direction? Stuart Briscoe, who's a longtime pastor of Elmbrook Church down in Brookfield, he tells a story about a young pastor friend of his who, when that pastor was new to his ministry, was called to officiate a funeral for a war veteran uh, that was held in a funeral home in the area. And so this pastor was there, and some of this veteran's military friends wanted to have a part in the service. And so they asked the pastor, hey, pastor, how about this? At the end of the service, would it be all right if, could you lead us to, up to the casket and then just lead us in just a moment of remembrance there? And then can you lead us out the side door of the funeral home? Kind of this military procession. And the pastor thought, yeah, that sounds good. And so it, all, it was all going well until the pastor chose the wrong door by which to exit the funeral home. So he's leading this procession, and the military men are all, or maybe women as well, are just walking in military precision. He opens the door. He's about to lead him right into a broom closet. I mean, it, it's humorous. You can, you can imagine the, the confusion and the embarrassment that, that ensued there. But it shows the importance. If you're going to lead, better lead in the right direction. And that's a huge responsibility for those who lead God's people. I mean, I, I feel that responsibility. That I know that I will be held accountable by God one day. It's important that as I'm leading Freedons, as others here at Freedons are leading, that we lead well, that we lead faithfully, that we do lead courageously, but also lead humbly. And so one of the things I would ask for from all of us is prayer. Just like last week, I ask that each one of us be praying for clarity to discern God's leading and God's direction for freedoms. Clarity. We, we need clarity. Please especially pray for myself and Pastor David. Pray for our leadership board. Pray for the various ministry teams and ministry committees that provide leadership for the church because we don't want to be leading just based on our own whims and our own ideas and our own wisdom experience. We want to follow God's leading. I believe that we have some significant decisions to make in the coming months. So please be praying for clarity to discern God's leading. 
Also, please continue praying for willing hearts to follow God faithfully. And that is for all of us, that all of us would release any personal agendas that we have and instead say, God, not my will, but yours be done. So that then we will all be willing and ready to follow God where he leads us in both our personal lives and for the church. And finally, please be praying for God to work mightily in and through Freedom's Church. Not for our glory, but for the expansion of his kingdom. And for those of us who have leadership responsibilities, whether here in the church or elsewhere, I pray that each one of us will lead diligently, diligently seeking God's will and God's direction for our area of leadership. Diligently and faithfully leading God's people with compassion, but also with courage and with confidence, but also with humility. And that we will diligently follow God and make disciples who make more disciples. Please be praying that God will make us into a church that is increasingly faithful to him in these ways. Now, it's important that we are aligning ourselves with God's ongoing mission. That is one of the important things about leading is that we clearly identify from Scripture what is God's calling, what's God's mission, because his mission, just as his mission did not stop when Moses died, his mission did not stop when Joshua died or King David died or the Apostle Paul died. His mission continued. First and foremost, we need to align ourselves with God's mission. God's mission that he began even back in the Garden of Eden continues on to this day. Now let's zoom out and look at this topic in, broader, um, in the broader spectrum. About 1,400 years after the events of the book of Joshua, there was another Joshua who came on the scene, a greater Joshua who would lead God's people into the ultimate promised land. Joshua's name means the Lord saves. Or if you read it literally, it means Yahweh saves, Yahweh being the most intimate name of God in the Old Testament. It means the Lord saves. Joshua is a Hebrew name, and God used Joshua to deliver God's people into the promised land. Again, Joshua is a Hebrew name. Now, when you translate that Hebrew name Joshua into Greek, any ideas what the name is? Jesus. Yes. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Jesus also means the Lord saves. And Jesus is a deliverer who, the ultimate deliverer, the greater Joshua, who will lead God's people into the ultimate promised land. What is that ultimate promised land? It's heaven. Listen to what Jesus says, John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. He says, My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So this is talking about heaven. Heaven is the ultimate promised land. We see a description of this in Revelation chapter 21, where it says that God's dwelling place, speaking of heaven, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the ultimate promised land that Jesus makes available. A place of complete and final rest. But a good rest. Rest in God's presence. A joyful place to worship him freely. The initial promised land that Israel experienced was just a little microcosm of what the ultimate promised land would be. 
Jesus goes on in John chapter 14 to say, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? How can we know the way? This is a key question. This last week, um, my family, we were sitting down for supper, and my daughter, Tahila, she's five years old. She was praying for our dinner. She frequently likes to pray for our dinner. And at one point in that prayer, she prayed, thank you for giving us new life. Now, at the end of the prayer, among many other things that she prayed, Shelly, my wife, asked her, Tila, what, what did you mean when you said thank you for giving us new life? What's that new life? And she exuberantly said, Heaven. And so I, as a good father, sensed a teachable moment. And so I thought, okay, Tehillah, how do you think someone gets to heaven? And she kind of shrugged her shoulders and like, stairs? A staircase? Angels? I don't know. That was the progression that she went through. And, I mean, as a five-year-old, she's thinking very, very literally of heaven as a physical place somewhere up there. So you, physically, you have to somehow get there. So stairs or angels or something. And so this was a teachable moment. I basically shared with her what came in, in John 14, 6, the very next verse. Jesus answered Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is the reality of how we get to the ultimate promised land through the, through the deliverer Jesus. We, we place our faith in him. He is the bridge that gets us back to God. It's not by our good works, it's not by our religious deeds, but it's by what Jesus did through his death on the cross, paying our death penalty for sins. And if we are trusting in what Jesus did for us rather than trusting our own good works, we can have that confidence that that we will have inheritance in the ultimate promised land. And we can have confidence that even though we are not yet fully experiencing that, God will be faithful to his promises just as God was faithful to his promises to Abraham and to Moses, and to Joshua, and down through the centuries. Because God is faithful. But in the meantime, even though we are not yet in that ultimate promised land, we have a mission to fulfill. We are not just like treading water and just kind of waiting and stuff. God's given us a mission to fulfill. And one of the clearest descriptions of that mission is in Matthew chapter 28, known as the Great Commission. It says, Then Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is the mission, to make disciples. That's about expanding God's kingdom, helping more and more people come under God's rule, following Jesus faithfully, and helping more and more people follow Jesus. This is the calling that we have. And I pray that we will be more faithful than Israel was out in the desert. And if we are followers of Jesus, he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to be faithful. May we be faithful to the calling and the mission that he has given us as we look ahead to the ultimate promised land. And the neat thing is, we are promised God's presence just as Joshua was. Remember, God told Joshua, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I will be with you. Jesus said the same thing when he commissioned us. He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this can give us tremendous confidence and tremendous courage as we represent him, as we follow him, and as we help more people get to know him as well. Now I want to close with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, on this topic of leaders. 
Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, there have been many godly leaders who have gone before us. Hopefully, in your mind, you can think of many godly men and women who have influenced you in positive ways where even if they are not here any longer, their influence carries on on you. One of the people I think of is Stan Conrad. Pastor Stan was the interim pastor here at Freedom's for the 14 months between when Pastor Mark left and when I came. I just got an email last night that said Pastor Stan passed away just this Friday, just a couple days ago. And even though he's no longer here, he definitely made a very significant impact on Freedom's. And the impact that he made, the leadership that he gave to Freedom's during those 14 months continues to pay dividends even today. We are told to remember the leaders who went before us and to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Emulate the godly qualities that we see in them. Leaders will come and go. No earthly leader that we have will ever be around forever. And so the very next verse points us to the ultimate leader. The very next verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So even though human leaders will come and go, God's mission continues, and the chief shepherd, the ultimate Joshua, Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we lead well. May we follow Jesus faithfully and fix our eyes on him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you do not change, that you do not change course, that you do not make errors. Your your mission, your plan did not require mid-course adjustments, but you set out the plan for redemption way back in the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve fell and sinned and turned away from God. And you have been fulfilling that mission on through the generations. And we thank you that we have the privilege of being a part of that mission. And I pray that we will be faithful to you. We recognize that, that we do struggle with faithfulness. Thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit to convict us, to guide us, to lead us. And Lord, I do pray for your guidance for Freedom's Church. We want to be faithful to you. Lord, we don't want to follow our own whims. We don't want to follow what we think is best in our own sight, but we want to follow you. So I pray that you will give wisdom to those of us who help lead here at Freedom's, but for all of us, Lord, we all had the privilege and the opportunity to represent you and to be leaders in our own spheres of influence, leaders who need courage and need strength that comes from you, leaders who point other people to Jesus. And I pray that we will all be that type of leader who do not wilt in the face of discouragement, who do not wilt in the face of of opposition, that we will have humility and compassion and, and gentleness, but at the same time that we will stand strongly for Christ and represent him faithfully. Lord, we thank you for the leaders who have gone before us. We do thank you for Pastor Stan and his 14 months of service here at Freedom's. We do lift up Joyce and their family as they grieve in this time. But we thank you that they do not grieve as those without hope. And Lord Jesus, we thank you once again that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are always trustworthy and you are always faithful. We pray these things with gratitude in your name. Amen.